The Marriage Project is a community organization that exists to educate a future generation while encouraging and inspiring hope for this one through the portrait of God's design for marriage. It is a collective of stories from couples spanning across the nation and globe to share with you the hope they have found in Jesus. This is a one-stop shop to hear how God has impacted each life here and to shine light and shed light on what our part is in His plan. Welcome back to another episode of the Marriage Project Podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Miller, and I am so excited to bring you a new episode this month, and I will be introducing you to Amanda and Aaron Florizikowski. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> um, and... You guys are in for a real treat. They're awesome. They're hosting me here in Marble Falls, Texas. And there is a reason I jumped on a plane last minute to fly to Austin to meet Amanda and Aaron in person. Amanda and I had chatted a while back about this meeting and interview, but no plans had really taken shape. But I had an inkling more recently to reach back out and the time was now to connect and get to tell or rather give them a platform to share a part of their story. So I read Amanda's book Unraveled and it's amazing. It was so good targeting mothering fiercely in a world full of fears. And we are going to dive into more of what that means and more of their ministry, um, Vigilant Families and Able Moms. So a lot of this episode will focus on um, something that happened a few years back um, to their family and it is dealing with the epidemic of human and child sex trafficking. And while talking about this, we'll point to the Lord and just see how God has called this family to advocate for those who are vulnerable and for the family and the strengthening of the family. And so I'm grateful to learn what Amanda and Aaron have learned about God's heart on this matter as they've done the deep dive work and are passionate about advocating for these young ones who are so vulnerable. We'll also talk marriage and trials. Um, and some of the other things they've faced in their marriage. So I'm grateful and honored and humbled to be here with them. And I will let them jump in, say hello, introduce yourselves. We are the grateful ones. We are, like we said, we're very thankful to be here. So yes, absolutely. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sitting on a squeaky chair. <laughs> so <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's real. Um, we are sitting in a church office and we'll paint the picture for you guys. And if you hear any squeaks, that's why we're sitting on some squeaky chairs. Um, but the heart of this podcast is to talk about testimonies in marriage. So before we dive into that part of your story, how the book was written, Aaron, we get to hear your side of the behind the scenes of the book writing process, possibly what was going on in your household during that time. But I would love to hear your guys' testimonies first, um, how you came to know the Lord, if you had, sure, just what kind of, do you want to go first? Absolutely. Okay, sure. Yeah. So as far as testimonies go, you know, we were actually sharing again with our kids this morning uh, as we were talking about it. And for me, it was really simple. We had this Wednesday night service and it was, it was a prayer meeting, but um, the kids all went to something and I, I don't know where they came up with the name, but the, literally the name of the, the uh, kids ministry was Eager Beavers. Oh, I, I don't know where they came up with that name. <laughs> you know, Awana, I can see all those kinds of things, but this was Eager Beavers. Eager yeah. Beavers. I don't know, but, but I remember the lady, she was, she was probably in her eighties, you know, it was old school Baptist church. And she was sharing on 
this hill with three crosses and the middle cross was for me. Mm. And so I just remember in that moment, um, her sharing about the thieves, you know, on, on the either side and how this, mm. this Jesus, uh, came to die for me. I, I was probably about eight years old and I, I it just hit me like waves, like mm. wave after wave after wave of just feeling loved, you know? And so that was, um, just a real pivotal moment in my life. And it was right then that, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ. I got saved. I would say I got saved at that point mm-hmm. and um, just fell into love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was just real. And it, for me, it, I always go back to that moment of wave after wave after wave mm-hmm. of just how much God loves me. And that has hit me up multiple times throughout life as hardships have come and mm-hmm. I've fallen away a little bit, but it just always goes back to, I was so loved. I am so loved. So yeah, that was it for me. That was the moment for me. And as he was explaining it to our kids this morning, I was almost, I don't know if envious is the right word, but I was so overwhelmed by how beautiful the innocence of the way he told it to them. Um, Because my story is kind of different. I grew up in a house where I always longed for God, I guess. And my parents came from very different backgrounds. My dad was raised Catholic. My mom was raised Baptist. They got married and didn't really know where to go. And so they kind of fumbled through their faith. And as they grew, I grew. Um, But the day they went to put me in public school in California, the schools went on strike. And so they put me in a parochial school and it kind of fulfilled this need for me because I always you know, my parents would say the Lord's prayer with me before bed. And I just loved God. I just had this longing for him, but, um, I didn't, I didn't know that I had to ask him to be Lord of my life. And so I was in a fourth grade classroom when the teacher started off the year saying, if you don't know Christ as your personal savior, do you want to? And I was like the first hand up. I mean, I was so ready. I loved the Lord. I just didn't, I didn't know the steps to tell him mm. yeah. <laughs> that I wanted, that I accepted his love. Him? Yeah. Yeah. That I accepted his love. Mm. And so, um, that's why I think we opened up a university model school in 2016 and our advocates of Christian school, not for everyone as a rule of thumb, but we're advocates for it because that's where I came to know Jesus. Somebody shared with me in a Christian school classroom. So, um, I share in the book, you know, my high school years were not without fault, but, um, it was in a Christian school again that I recommitted my life, my senior year of high school and was like, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, wherever, whomever, whatever it takes. And so I decided to be a missionary teacher and, um, yeah, I was just all in. Ooh, what does a missionary teacher entail? Yeah, I will. I went to Bible college to oh, be okay. an educator and I wanted to teach at Black Forest Academy okay. in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ended up in a Christian school in Florida and met somebody mm-hmm. <laughs> named Aaron and I never made my way to Germany. So, Well, I never Regret. made my way to Africa. Africa was on my hit list. I remember these missionaries from Togo, I think uh-huh. it was Togo and they came and I remember going through the line. They stood at the back Oh yeah, and they, they were you know, shaking hands with all the people. And so I would, I kept, I was probably 10 by then maybe. And I kept going through the line, asking them questions about Africa, you know, (laughs) what it would take. Cause he wanted to go. Yeah. There was just always like, that was always a part of like, it was just God loved me. And so what next, you know? Yeah. So our life has been pretty much that. I mean, when we met each other, we both had that heart to, Mm -hmm. so I guess we'll segue into how we met. Yes, please. Um, 
I was teaching at that Christian school and Aaron was a youth pastor and I had gotten out of a relationship that Mm -hmm. I just was, I needed a break. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, I wasn't looking, he wasn't looking, but it was kind of undeniable. I was looking, I had just given up. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I yeah, I guess that's the way I put it. So it was kind of undeniable, though. I think the first time we actually talked, mm-hmm. do you remember when that was in oh, yeah. high school in the yeah. gymnasium? Yeah. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, you came in and they introduced you as the new teacher. Yeah, and I was like, wow, she's kind of cute. Glasses <laughs> on, Aww. baseball hat, no makeup. Yeah. So yeah, we still joke about that. I'm like, really? You thought I? <laughs> So. But I don't okay. think after that it was like that, there's hope for me. I yeah. wear hats a lot. <laughs> I do. I don't think I do my hair every day. <laughs> that casual look, yeah. Oh man. But we um yeah, it's it is actually kind of comical. Everybody wanted us to be together. Mm. And so they were kind of pressuring him since they knew him better. Yeah. And um he finally was like, Get off my back. Yeah, I don't react well to pressure. Right. So <laughs> I was like, you know, if you pressure me to do something, I'm gonna go the other way. Mm. So, so anyway, it was months before we actually talked. And then once yeah. it was our own, it was like six months later we were married. Right. Yeah, I went to a game was... night at her house one night and I uh, came home and we jumped on the phone from what, eight o'clock? No, it was 10 o'clock probably. So when I got home and then it was four in the morning when we stopped oh, talking. Wow. It was those so, days. Yes. Have, and uh, he was a youth pastor. Days, he was yeah. working like two or three jobs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And yeah. still would make time for me. And hmm. yeah, so I had to be work at four 30 in the morning. So I have a question pertaining to that later on about the pursuit. You talked about that. His yeah. Pursuit cool. of you. Yeah. yeah. Um, for sure. That's so awesome. So you guys told me too, you had a speedy wedding or you got married in six, six weeks. weeks. Yeah. Yes. Six it's weeks. Over and you know, it's so funny. I thought that was like, you know, when you play the Skittles game and they're like, tell us something interesting about you. I'm like, oh man, I got this one in the back. And the more I share that, people are like, oh, we're married really we quickly it. too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true that when you know, you know, when you know, That's you know. Comforting. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it's not, um, it just feels right. Right. And, um, that click that you have is what gets you through. I remember our old pastor saying, you know, of all the couples that I counseled who have been in a really struggling time, mm-hmm. one of the first questions I asked, and I'm, I'm like on the, the edge of my seat because Aaron and I, in that time in our marriage, were in a really rough spot. And I'm like waiting for this grand answer. And he goes, you know, it's compatibility. I'm thinking it's going to be this really spiritual yeah. answer. And he goes, it's compatibility, like mm-hmm. that just little spark that you have. And I think when you get into the struggling times, um, because we all have them, like when people get in their marriage and they think I'm the only one mm-hmm. and I'm like everybody else's marriage is Instagram picture. Perfect. Mm-hmm. That's just not the reality of it. You just don't know what goes on behind closed yeah. doors yeah. and nine times out of 10, I mean, everybody has their struggles. Like the two become one, your two individuals becoming one. And so everyone has their stuff. And it's really the reality is going back to the promise and the commitment that you made Mm -hmm. and choosing to rekindle that spark, you know, like choosing Mm -hmm. that, not always feeling it, Mm -hmm. but that being a choice. And so that's what I kind of addressed, I guess, what you're talking about is like, Aaron chose me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, he I, chose me. I love that because I think in today's world, so you guys have been married almost 16 years? Correct. Yeah. So I see it as a lot of people or guys, girls too, it's not just on the guy, but um, 
a, a fear of commitment or a lack of commitment. And like, sometimes you just got to commit and make the choice and do it together, you know? And I just see kind of a lack of that. And I don't know if it has to do with the social media world we're living in and there's just a lot of options or it's just so much going on. I don't know what the deal is. I mean, people are still getting married. Maybe it's just because I'm, <laughs> I'm not experiencing that, but I do see that. I'm just like, gosh, you just have to, yeah, that, that word commit. It's kind of a, it's a we, word we, we people have, don't. Go ahead, go ahead. No, it's, I was just going to say a word people are afraid of or don't want to do the, the commitment thing. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that a little bit too, uh, in some of the younger, uh, couples or even single people that we've talked to. And it's almost, we've, we've kind of joked that, um, in a sad way that, you know, that we'd hate to be single now, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. the world has changed so much, mm-hmm. even, you know, from when we were, uh, you know, in our early twenties and yeah, in 16 years, yeah, it just, sure. you know, yeah, I think that there's, head. there's a lack of commitment and I think it boils down to men not being men. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? Yes. You know, just, I, I think there's a, but and I think that goes to a little bit of like parenting. There's a lot of things that that, you know, one of the things I, I was reading the other day was saying it's video games, you know, they just want to play video games, you know, and I, that's part of it. Sure. But it just, I, there's a, a growing up that is being prolonged. Yes. And at the same time, boys aren't allowed to be boys. Like they don't know how to be men because the culture is so hitting them with, well, that's wrong. You know, and so there's a demasculinity that's taking um, taking place as well. That's really kind of sad, but mm-hmm. yeah. So men don't know how to be men. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, the yeah. responsibility of a family is something they're yeah. saying. Oh, I can do that in five years or however long. Or, well, it's like that whole uh, swipe right, swipe yeah, left. It's that you know, just a keeping. Non-committal, keeping things simple, and mm-hmm. I can have what I want. I, that that re- that really is a huge part of. It. I think it's like I want what I want without any commitment on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I'm looking at a verse on the wall that says "Commit to the Lord." Mm-hmm. And that as funny as that fell out of my mouth, I go, oh, "That verse says yeah. commit, commit to the Lord." You know, whatever. You and do. I think that people, and I think we do that with our Christian faith too, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a lack of commitment. Yeah. You know, I, I want. I want the God thing, but I don't want to go all in. Right. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think as women, we long for men to be men. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we, whether we are saying that or not, um, you know, whether we're articulating that we deeply desire that knight in shining armor, you know, we deeply desire our men to be men. And so, um, I second what you've said for sure. Is it John Eldridge that wrote a bunch of, material on that as far as yeah he wrote and then uh, uh there was another book that i read too it was really good the silence of adam mm, i think and, that one's uh, probably my top yeah my it favorite. was a really good book because it really goes back to the fall right mm. like creation like yeah. you know um eve turned to the man who was with her you know he was right there he didn't say anything you know and so you, you write a lot in the book about eve's curse mm. and and part of adam's was very related to his dropping the ball you know which was mm-hmm. He didn't step up and be the man that God called him to and protect the garden and keep it and sanctify it and make it better. And so a lot of it goes back to that too, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And segueing into why you wrote the book. I mean, there's probably, that's a fully loaded question, but um, can you tell us about what happened on February 27th, 
2016 and how this book came about. So your unraveled book. Yes. So I was in a grocery store with my daughter and at the time, my young infant son. And it was like any other day, drop the kids off at school. Um, I remember exactly what my daughter was wearing and um, just one of those days that kind of sticks out, right? Mm-hmm. And I had forgotten something at the end of my shopping experience. And so I went to the other side of the store mm-hmm. to grab it. And this gentleman bumped into the end of my cart just abruptly stopping me. And I remember it was like in front of the exit. I remember exactly where I was standing and he was really intentional about striking up a conversation, but I kind of just blew it off and rerouted myself. And he was only wanting to talk about my kiddos. And so I just kind of said thanks over my shoulder to his compliment about my kids and just kind of kept on. And I realized when I went into the aisle that I looked over and he was still standing there kind of like very intentionally um, very intentional about the conversation and really distraught that he couldn't interact with me. Mm. So I just thought that was bizarre, but you know, didn't think too much of it. So when I finished, I went right to the register and there was a couple standing at the end of the register kind of tearing. And I noticed what they had and knew that they had very little. So I said, you know, go ahead and go usher, welcome them to go ahead of me. Mm. And, um, you know, any mama, the shopping countdown is based on knowing her kids nap needs. Right. So (laughs) I took my daughter out of the cart and I set her on the ground so that she could kind of wiggle her legs before we got home because I knew that it was nap time. And I don't know what it is like about the register, like the smell of the candy or what, but my kids go bananas every time they do so great in the store. And then I get to the register, like the important part where I'm dealing with money and talking to adults. And it's like, it all breaks loose. So this particular day I was pre trying to be preemptive and got her out of the cart and they did beautifully. But immediately the woman in front of me struck, struck up a conversation and, um, you and I have gotten to know each other a little bit yeah. and you know, I'm not shy. And so I interacted with her, but something felt off. She was so decisive hmm. and in the interaction, the first thing that struck me is that she didn't say anything about my cute, chubby, cooing infant. She just wanted to talk about my daughter. Mm -hmm. And she asked me one question repetitively. And so I'm loading the belt and I'm thinking to myself, why the same question keeps coming, right? How old is your daughter? Now, how old is your daughter? And I realized what she's doing is turning over her shoulder and talking to the man that she's with, Mm -hmm. but not in English. And it dawns on me after the third time she asked me, talks to him, and then talks to me again that she's actually interpreting for this man. So I'm having an unwanted conversation with this man who's not even looking at my daughter. He's looking the other direction. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he, but he desires information about her. And so I stop. This woman approaches my cart. She's at this point only 12 inches away, but she comes even closer and she actually puts her hand on my cart. And so I now have my daughter wedged in between her and my cart. And so I make my way around and I pick her up. Mm-hmm. And all the bells and whistles are going off in my head just because the interaction is so bizarre. I mean, I place my other hand on my son and I'm holding her and the woman who's now talking to me about my daughter, um, asks to hold her. And so this is a stranger I've met two minutes ago who all the bells and whistles are going off. He's not saying anything about my son. He's like almost waiting at the registers, asking me all these questions about my daughter, reciting them to this man. I don't know. 
And I had this internal war going on, which I think a lot of us as Christian women do. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to, you know, I don't want them to not feel the love of Christ. What if I say something? And all that is a lie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a lie. Mm -hmm. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. There's a famous work done by um, Gavin DeBecker. He wrote a New York Times bestseller and he talks about the, about heuristic thinking. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, now that I've studied so much about child trafficking is actually the number one thing that you can do is take in all the information about your surroundings. And Gavin DeBecker has made an incredible living on talking to top, um, you know, talking to agencies and artists and actresses and actors about trusting that gut feeling. And that's exponentially multiplied for the woman who believes in Christ because we have the Holy spirit. (laughs) We can absolutely trust our gut. Right. And I wish I would have that day, but I didn't. And instead I made up this excuse because I don't want to be offensive. And I said, you know, I don't really think you should hold her. Her diaper is, and then is wet, left my mouth. This woman who I had just met is taking my daughter from my arms. She was so close to me, Alicia. She Mm -hmm. couldn't even extend her arms. It was just her hands that were extended. And, you know, that split second, because afterwards when they're the police department is reviewing the tape, which by the way, that I was able to get for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, Oh, it's only like five seconds. I don't know. I, I make five to 10 seconds. You know, it wasn't a long time, but count that one, two, three, like any yeah, from a mother's perspective. who has her daughter in a stranger's arms. It, it it's eternity, eternity. Yeah. And I'm standing there everything inside me is going off. I'm, you know, I'm asking myself all these questions in that millisecond. Like, does she have any idea what she's doing to me? Surely she does. I mean, I told her, no, I said, no, you can't hold my daughter. And so I'm have my hand on my son and I'm thinking to myself in that moment, what is my strategy here? If I lunge forward to get my daughter, what about my son? Because I've never really been in a situation I can say has been flight or flight, but People who I've talked to who have said, hey, I've been in a situation like that. You have this moment where you um, really do feel like the true essence of the word surreal. You And you don't, I, this is the best way I can explain it. You can't trust the situation. Once you become, I guess in that moment, victimized, mm-hmm. you feel this exponential level of vulnerability and you don't really know who or what to trust, even your own self. And so I'm just praying <laughs> like mm-hmm. in that moment, right? And lunge forward, grab my daughter. The question that I get asked all the time is, what do you think would have happened next? And um, do I really know? And do I even really want to think about it? No. But knowing what I know now, yeah. I think that, um, you know, the term grooming that we hear a lot in child trafficking. I think that it was what I would call a micro grooming. I think that they um, were talking to my daughter and talking to me because my daughter, who usually is somewhat timid, went right to this woman Mm. when she asked her. But when she backed up, or I'm sorry, once she had my daughter, she backed up with her for the first time in this entire interaction. So it's like almost coordinated like a symphony. They are exiting the store and this woman is starting to back up with my daughter and she takes her little wrist and she has my daughter parrot as she's looking at her. Okay. Say bye-bye to mommy. 
and I just, my knees buckle, you know? Um, but I, 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 after I got her and lunged, um, got her back, they left the store. The rest is kind of like a blur. And I leaned over the cash register and a woman who knew nothing about child trafficking. I mean, I had heard the term. I knew it happened overseas. I knew maybe one person who was advocating for its disruption, but I didn't know anything about trafficking. And it was, I, I say to this day, I tell Aaron, it was literally the Holy Spirit that it plopped out of my mouth mm-hmm. and rolled right out of the atmosphere. When the woman asked me behind the cash register, who I call in the book, Andy, mm-hmm. are you okay? And I said, no, I, I think my daughter was just the potential victim of a child trafficking abduction. I mean, I have no idea yeah, what made me say that. Yeah. No idea. Other than I believe it was God. And I believe that set our family on, um, and you've read the book. I mean, you know, the details of the man that afterwards and all this stuff and, yeah. but, um, that there's so much more to that story, but it ultimately, you know, I've had some people say, well, you have no idea it was trafficking. Well, the only way to know is if she was taken. So I praise God that no one in this room or anyone listening can 100% prove it. I praise God, but I think God in his grace and his wisdom mm-hmm. chose someone, chose a family that didn't want to look the other direction. Mm-hmm. And because I would, I don't know that I would have been able to fight for everybody else's kids because I would have gone to my grave fighting for my own daughter. Mm-hmm. So praise God that my daughter was um, the person that precipitated this great passion that our family has. Mm-hmm. But God in his grace, I, I, all I have is that passion now and that commitment for everybody else's family because mm-hmm. I do have my daughter, right. you know? Yeah. Um, so you do share in the book about the other man across the, he was next to the next, or he was in the line at the next register. Is that correct? And gave you this like menacing glare back or this angry stare, which when you heard those words come out of your mouth, which I think is important. I mean, we can kind of leave it cliffhanged if people want to grab the book, but I think we're going to get to that in a, in a minute. Cause I wanted to ask Aaron, you weren't there. Right. So how quickly after did you call this like immediately when you were in the car, did you tell him or did you process a little bit? I think you said that. And when you discovered, once you heard, what was your husband slash father's perspective or response and how you were feeling? And has that changed your role as a father to a daughter and a father to sons now? Yeah, that's a good question. Shock, disbelief, I think is the really the biggest thing is because you know, when, when she called me and told me it was, uh, it was really disbelief, you know, cause you know, it's, it's like something you're so not familiar with. Right. So you're the one that told me, Oh yeah. That right, I needed to right. pursue this. I was the one that was like, I don't really want to step out. I don't really want to, that ambivalence and that, that disbelief didn't happen for several months Yeah, because you were my biggest advocate that whole time when I was really wrestling. Yeah. But you did say that in the book, you said that you didn't necessarily say, you weren't right away like, let me advocate for this. You made a post on Instagram. And then Aaron, you were the one that maybe while there was ambivalence there, like a little bit of like, okay, like just encouraging your wife in this to say something. And you did. Yeah. Yeah. As the, as the post kept kicking up, because we were at the movies, I think, when we were, it was going up like Over, what, 170,000 times, is that what you oh said? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's more than that now. In fact, Facebook's not even counting it anymore. Oh, my gosh. Um, that still goes out. 
Oh yeah. And it wasn't just a social site. I mean, it was hmm. news and right emails and mom's groups. And I mean, it was translated in different languages. Oh, it was, I mean, I was getting messages from people all over the world. Wow. And, um, I mean, it just exploded and that in and of itself was terrifying. That was really the biggest deal for me because I thought, man, we do live in a small town. We go to church here. We serve here. We have businesses here. This could affect our family's livelihood and and my reputation. I mean, I know that sounds so prideful, but these are things that go through your head. I mean, you're, it's not like being a, um, reality TV star. Like you don't yeah. sign up for it. You, you, it's just all of a sudden you have no control over this, your story's reach. And in addition to protecting our family's integrity, because people don't know you, they only know you from a social page. I wanted to protect my children's and my family's safety. Right. So that was also a huge concern because again, um, you, you're looking in your rearview mirror home from the grocery store. If they will be that brazen in public, what will they do after hours after dark? I mean, these are concerns you have as a mother, you know, and they're realistic. Mm-hmm. And especially when something like that happens, I mean, you, you don't, um, your calibration is off and you feel like you can't trust anyone or anything in that moment. You're, mm-hmm. you're scared. Which and, you show in the book too, because that's one of the things that it then magnified that much more when your post regarding that incident mm-hmm. went viral. And it, so it, yeah, it, it wasn't just my local town anymore. It was worldwide. You know, right, right. and and I wanted to shrink back, and I didn't, and I expressed that to Aaron, and yeah, and and I, I I know my wife, and I think one of the things that attracted me to her was her um, ability to. She's so wise and has the ability to uh, lead. Uh, I loved her leadership. I loved her. She's a connector of people. Um, there's just so many aspects that I love about her, and you were like, I don't know what to, you know, do I go forward with this? Like there was some nervousness there on what Mm -hmm. to do next. And I know my wife, you know, and I I was like, go for it. Like Mm -hmm. God of all people can use you in this because he's, he's already gifted you and talented you in so many different things that, that so line up with you being able to make an impact, um, that you shouldn't be afraid. Like for Mm -hmm. such a time as this, go for it. Mm -hmm. God will use you. And one of our, this this is going to be really romantic, right? But one of our first dates was the Holocaust Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida. I know this really doesn't, sound, <laughs> doesn't no. that sound romantic, but it was fascinating to both of us. Hey, Germany wanted to go. Yeah. We both wanted to go. And, um, I remember, you know, we, we are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was, um, yeah, I know he's a fan favorite that we have at least heard the name. And he was very early on when he refuted the Fuhrer's you know, philosophy, he was put to death. Niemöller actually supported Hitler's regime, which is why he was lesser known. But he said something that stuck with me. But when Aaron said what he did, like you can choose to turn away or you can actually look at this and do something. Mm -hmm. I mean, Amanda, you could have never, I'll never forget this. You told me, you said, Amanda, you could have never orchestrated this. I mean, this is obviously God. Yeah. And so your choice in this is to walk away and not be used because you'll find someone, right? Like we always say that, like you will find someone, but the older I get, I realize that that's true. But if he wanted to use me, I needed to be willing. And I love what Niemöller said. He said, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. 
and there was no one left to speak for me. And I was so convicted because that has been a part of our story is Aaron, when he lays the boys down, since they were very little, he's prayed over them, stand up for the weak, love the unlovable. I mean, that's our, that's our family mantra. (laughs) And I thought, who is more vulnerable and weak and feeling unloved than a child who's being victimized? So it was really convicting. So I put the post back up and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. Cause you had taken it down. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was terrified and, and was, I was ready to, I'm like, find someone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that felt the equivalent to look to bending down and looking a small child in the eye and saying, find someone else. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do that. Wow. Um, similar. You had a confirmation verse, right? Through Proverbs 24, 11. 11 yeah. 12. Yeah, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we do not did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? Mm-hmm. And I just thought God was, it was like everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> God was like, don't look away from this. Like, I know you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, like that verse you know, when you see it, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Mm. It's not just the traffic victims that are, you know, that are being taken away to slaughter. Like it's the victimizers too. It's the traffickers. It's the Johns who are buying this. Mm -hmm. Like they all need rescuing. Like this isn't, this is a problem that is not just the problem for the kids. This is an evil evil, evil spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have someone that's buying sex with children, like there's an evil there that comes. It's, it's, this isn't anybody who I talk to in this industry who's fighting against trafficking will say there is a, there is a demonic evil element to it because you cannot enter this with right thinking. It's Mm -hmm. that evil. You can't even talk about it without feeling that darkness, you know? Mm -hmm. So really we're fighting is a spiritual battle. And that's why that verse was so impactful to me because I thought, man, it's not just the kids. Like there are victimizers, there are Johns, there are dads, there are people addicted to pornography. There are marriages that are falling apart. There are families that are struggling. And we kind of talked about this before, but that's where, that's where we need to be. Like we as believers, we are the peacemakers. We are the free people and only free people, free people. You know, we're the ones that come in and enter into the the spiritual battle and take up arms and say, I'm fighting on your behalf. In marriage, I think one of the things that I saw in Amanda early on was uh, an absolute connection point with her faith beyond anything else. Like the Mm -hmm. fact that she, it wasn't, church just wasn't a thing that she did. Like Mm -hmm. she had a passionate relationship with God and she was like, I'm going to share Christ. I'm going to be out there. I'm. This is a real thing for me. And I think of all the things that attracted me to Amanda, I think that was the biggest thing is like her heart for God. We, we, one of the nerdy things that we like to do is watch, uh, we, we watch documentaries all the time. We're like, what are you doing this Friday? Well, we're watching a documentary, documentary. (laughs) great depression, you know, or something like that, you know? And we watched one recently on, um, um, uh, Supreme, uh, the Supreme court, uh, Justice. Justice Clarence, Tom, Clarence Thomas. Hello, so good. So cool. I highly recommend it. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. And 
it was on his book. He had written a book and the documentary was following his life as he followed it in the book. And one of the things he talks about is how he went to school for um, seminary. And it was during the time that Martin Luther got shot, Martin Luther King Jr. got shot. And he, um, so he went into seminary and he was like, Hey, you know, what's the church's response um, to the shooting of Martin Luther King? And he was one of the only African-American men in the seminary. Mm -hmm. And he heard a racial slur as he was walking in that morning. And then he, when he went to his headmaster, the guy that was overseeing the program, he, he basically said, well, well, the church doesn't worry themselves with this kind of thing. You know, we, and it so burned him and tore him up because he was like, man, of all things, the church, the people of God should have an answer to our culture. Like we should be leading our culture. And so whether it's, you know, sex trafficking or just the many other things that our culture are seeing, the one thing I think in our marriage that we are so connected on is that, that we have a passion to be the church, like all the time, like we should have the answer, you know, because God had the answer, right. you know, uh, so. we have the remedy, which yeah. is Jesus on the cross, yeah. and his shed blood. Yeah. You said that in your chapter, free people, free people. Mm -hmm. And that that's so Christ's heart because he did come to save the children and the vulnerable, but he also came to save those who victimize, those who are the perpetrators. And it's so hard to even fathom that. Yeah. But you wonder, I mean, there are some just given over to evil, but you know, we're not called to judge like a heart that's up to God. And you can pray for those people because you said once demand decreases, that's when this ends. Right. So yeah, to see an end to this epidemic, it's like, how do we get to the end of this? And it's really only through, the shed blood of Christ and them receiving him, right? Those who have that yeah. desire yes. or just that sick. Yeah. I get done like a speaking engagement or someone will come up and I read your book and what can I do next? And we were just talking about that very clearly what you can do next. Mm. <laughs> Two things. If anyone will tell you, anyone will tell you who spent any time dealing with victims or trafficking, if you, they will tell you the same thing. If you want to eradicate trafficking, you have to decrease the demand. You have to stop the demand. Mm -hmm. You have to. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we do that? How do you fight an evil battle with weapons that are spiritual weapons? Right. You can't, you, you can't throw enough money at it. You can't throw, um, you can't throw government at it. You can't throw politics. You can't, you can't throw these things at it. Now, all those things probably help, you know, help. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying they don't, mm -hmm. but if you want to stop an evil battle, you have to fight with spiritual weapons. So if you want to do two things, you have to pray, you have to pray. Mm -hmm. And I think the second thing that we as believers are called to the great commission, mm -hmm. sharing the gospel in the four corners of the earth. If you want to see decrease, there has to be a conviction in the heart of someone that's either trafficking a child or abusing a child. And that only comes, like you said, through the shed blood of Christ. And we, we, you know, we say those words and, but I, in all sincerity, I'm telling you, Alicia, I am praying for the man that was standing the next register. And we'll talk about him in a second. Yeah. I'm praying for him. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that that man's going to come to salvation. I believe that someday he'll probably come to my speaking engagements mm -hmm. and we'll get to stand together arm in arm. And let me tell you, like there has been there have been some profound things that have happened internally in our family where people have called me up and say, Hey, I had a dream, not knowing at all what happened. And it was the exact same day that this happened. And I won't share it all here, but 
just some really, really, you know, when you enter into such a, a dark battle, mm-hmm. There are some really spiritual things that start happening in your life. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, when we hear missionaries that go across overseas oh, yeah. and you start hearing about all these crazy spiritual things that are happening because mm-hmm. they're in like this dark battle that we don't see in America because our Christianity has become so muted and watered down. Mm-hmm. But when you enter the battle and are actually in it, you start to see some really cool things. Mm-hmm. I mean, God shows up. Mm-hmm. I'm living proof. Mm-hmm. But I, these things started happening where people would call and say, Hey, I had this dream or, you know, very prophetic, very profound all at one time during this season when we were walking in the thick of standing and fighting this battle before the book was written. And we're in the thick of the aftermath and dealing with the police. And, um, I believe that I'll, I know what that man's intentions were. Um, and I believe I'll stand arm in arm with him someday. And I, I tease, I say, you know, Jesus in jail. Those are the two things that are going to help sometimes. And sometimes find Jesus in jail, maybe. Yeah. I don't care what order it's in. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, Oh, let's just let them all free. And like, let's all skip through the forest together. I mean, that's not the reality. Like there's consequence for our sin and this is an evil, vile, disgusting sin. And as someone who's personally been affected by a victimizer Mm -hmm. as a child, um, you know, they just didn't exchange money. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But it happened to me. So I I know, I know what I'm asking of people because I've had to do it. The good news is that forgiveness is for me to give. And then I get to be the recipient of the healing when I get to forgive. So, and you, we've walked through that in our marriage. There's definitely been consequence of that other person's sin against me. Yeah. But I would say, wouldn't you agree that there has been, in, through my forgiveness of that person, healing and growth in our marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, forgiveness is one of those things that like, it's easy to say it's hard to do. Yeah. And, and for me, I know I'm stubborn, but, uh, the, the thing that helped me in that journey of forgiveness the most, and I know there were things that like markers along the way for you that helped you uh, really learn how to forgive. You know, it's almost like a learned trait because naturally we don't want to forgive is when I really kept coming back to, man, God has forgiven me of so much. Mm -hmm. Like I'm such a sinner, you know, but he's forget. So then how can I harbor it against you? You know, like Mm -hmm. how can I harbor my anger or, uh, whether it's misplaced or not, like how can I be bitter and not forgive when I've been forgiven Mm -hmm. so much? And so, always for me returning back to how much I'm forgiven then is the platform that I can then say. Aaron is very um, humble. Mm -hmm. I am very, I must be a little bit more selfish because my Mm -hmm. forgiveness was what I got out of it. (laughs) I'm like, like it frees me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, this is going to be better for me in the long run here. What I forgive is true. So, but Aaron is just, I love Mm -hmm. his heart in that because Mm -hmm. through some of the things we've walked through in our marriage um, where I needed forgiveness he was able to offer that to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in turn, I was able to forgive him of some things. I mean, our, our marriage has been, you know, the one thing that I wanted in a man was I wanted him to be godly. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted. I remember as a young child going over to friends' houses and them having, um, those magnets. You remember those magnets back in like the nineties where like the missionary family, 
got slapped on a magnet and they put it on the fridge and it's like, pray for this person and da 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 da. Uh-huh. And I would like go over to their houses and open up the fridge and just be like, oh. And, you know, their mom and dad wore the Christian t shirts. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I just thought that was so cool as a kid. Like, this is the kind of house that I want where it, it just, it, it's, permeates the air Jesus does. Right. And, um, that's all I wanted was a godly man. And I, I found this dashing youth pastor, you know, he's a pastor. Like I saw him getting up every Sunday and I fell madly in love. And just because he wore that title after we got married, I thought it'd be all sunshine and roses. And we had the same struggles. We had to work through things. We had to lean on Jesus as much as everybody else did. And, but what I can say is that God is so faithful right. in the times when there want, we wanted to give up, um, yeah, God's grace and his steadfastness and his really desire to capture our hearts more than even save our marriage. And people who are married will know what that means. Like God desires relationship with you, this, this vertical relationship even more than this horizontal one that he will go to great lengths. He will push the pressure points. When I talk about that a little bit in chapter two, he pushes the pressure points of what impacts you most brings you just enough pain to cling to him. That's so what you said. I'm going to repeat what you just said there. Cause it was so good. Like the health of our marriage has always been in direct relation to the health, direct relation to the health with Jesus. Right. Like there's, there's no separation. If, if I'm struggling or if, my faith has become weak or if I haven't been in my word and, and praying mm-hmm. or vice versa yeah. and I'm starting to live by the flesh, mm-hmm. my marriage is going to suffer. And it, I, I'm telling you every single time, mm-hmm. like that's, that's been true. And when somebody looked at us and said, I think it was Chris, our friend, good friend, Chris, he said, look, God doesn't care about your marriage so much as he cares about his relationship with you. In fact, God cares more about your relationship with him than he does your marriage. And for us, I think that was like, what? You know, like that can't be the case. But marriage is biblical and we're not supposed to get divorced and or separate or all this stuff. But it reset the core foundation that needed to be there, which was our vertical relationship first, so this can be healthy. You know, and Yeah, when you look at someone who's struggling in their marriage, we were counseling a couple right now and um they were given advice like everybody gives. Well, you just have to work on your relationship with the Lord. On the back end of your healing, that makes so much sense. Sure. You're like, yeah, that is actually, that's actually the golden ticket. That's what works. Right. However, when you're going through it, you need the practical steps of what that looks like. You need someone to say that they can't come at you and say, well, you need to strengthen your relationship with the Lord. You have to instead walk with them through how to do that because like we were talking about, it's so, um, common sense has been a little bit lost. And even in the church, like when we are not in our word and we don't know how to get from point A to point B, mm-hmm. um, we, we miss it. You know what I mean? Like we miss it. Yeah. We miss. And so there needs to be someone to come in and say, Hey, I just want to bring you back to this. I just yeah. want to bring you back to the simple things. I want to bring you back to God's word. And, um, that really is the two ministries right now that we have launched and are about to launch, um, kind of where that came from, you know, and 
I, I say common sense tongue in cheek. I don't want to be offensive. What I mean is that there's just a, a return to the simple biblical basics. We kind of overcomplicate complicate things, mm-hmm. but that was our heart. Like when we started looking at it, mm-hmm. we're like, man, if we want to stop the demand of trafficking, mm-hmm. if we want to make kids less vulnerable, what we really have to do is introduce Jesus to the equation mm-hmm. in whatever manner we can do that. Mm-hmm. And meaning we want to see families strengthened. We want to see mothers capable, unshakable in her faith and memorable in her motherhood. Those are the things that we want to focus on because for these kiddos to grow up in homes, you know, I told, shared with you the statistic that a, a trafficker who is interviewed said, it takes me eight minutes to determine whether or not a child is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And the, the determining factor for that trafficker and for most is the relationship they have with their family. Because if he knows that there's weakness there, that they don't have good family relationship, if he doesn't, if they don't, you know, check in with their parents, their parents aren't really concerned where they're at. If they don't have, and this, I mean, we're talking like upper middle class, right? Nice families, Mm -hmm. you know, there's still dysfunction that happens behind those white picket fences. Mm -hmm. And so we're not talking about the ragtag. And I, I get a little exhausted by that narrative where we're, it's just these kids that are vulnerable. No, we, I've done the research. Like mm-hmm. it's wealthy families as well. I mean, it's, you name it, these mm-hmm. traffickers get online and it just takes one statement to a young girl whose dad is a workaholic and doesn't pay attention and she's hooked. Mm-hmm. And now he has the opportunity to say, well, oh, it'd be so sweet if you sent me pictures, if you send me nudes. And she does. And then all of a sudden this girl has a lot more to lose at her private school only needs to hear, well, if you don't meet me, or if you don't start traffic, if you don't start doing this, if you don't start doing that, then I'm going to release all these to your science teacher Mm -hmm. and to the college that you're vetting for and the Ivy league school. I mean, this is what's happening. It's, it's not one type of child or the other. Mm -hmm. And so getting to those families, getting to, to every family, and strengthening every family and making sure that those parents recognize, even though they're going to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. that that may not be enough, Yeah, that it needs to get from the head to the heart and into the home. So that was our passion and heart behind Vigilant Families mm-hmm. and the Naval Moms. Yeah. Which are your two ministries that you have come out of this whole experience? Yes. Uh, Able Moms is, again, a platform in community meetings um, that meet twice a month through an international organization where we have three platforms that we um, encourage moms to be capable in their motherhood, just very practical parenting. Mm-hmm. I tease Aaron, like we brought our son home and his eyes crossed and I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like I thought I was dialing the neurologist. I'm like, something's wrong. And I didn't know that they just didn't have that coordination yet. They're little eye muscles, but nobody ever told me I didn't know. So capable in her parenting, unshakable in her faith. Mm-hmm. And then memorable in her motherhood. What mother doesn't want to be memorable? And that discipleship component comes out of an unshakable faith. So those three tenets are what we focus on with Able Moms. And then Vigilant Families is a collaborative platform of all these people I've rubbed shoulders with and bumped over the last three years who have decided to partner alongside me in their graciousness, like, you know, FBI, um, CIA, (laughs) uh, big name organizations who do this for a living and rescue kids and literally rip them out of cages. I mean, just amazing people who've traveled the world and just Mm -hmm. unbelievable doctors and 
just incredible people that have come together and said, yeah, we'll get on board with this. Like we'll mm-hmm. share what we know. And so it's a collaborative educational platform for children, youth, and parents, mm-hmm. um, broken up into bite-sized trainings and age appropriate. Mm-hmm. So we parents, you know, we say like, we need to educate our children. Well, what do you say? Yeah. I was just, I was just going to <laughs> yeah, ask you, like, like have, how do you, do you talk to your kids about that? Like, have you explained now that they're older too, like what happened that day? Mom has a book. It's still odd to hear your seven-year-old daughter talk yeah. about like, well, a sex trafficking. And right. Because like, you're so you know, little. And I, so you know, you're sure they don't fully grasp and comprehend, but yeah. we, we're pretty open with them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's we don't shy away from the terms too much from them. Right. No. And they know. I mean, they're very, they're very cognizant of mm. um, not only our family motto, you know, that's something as a family that we committed to even early on, Aaron and I take a week away. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I shouldn't say a week, a couple days mm-hmm. away the beginning of every year. Mm-hmm. And we plan financially. We plan, um, for big goals, little goals. We plan for goals for our children, goals in our own marriage. Mm-hmm. Like we found that time is invaluable. And mm-hmm. one of those early meetings, we developed a family motto and we developed five to six, commitments or things that core values. Yeah. That, that our family lives out and, um, out of one of those core values, like we are really open with our kids about the things that we talk about in this book. Right. But, you know, I don't talk to my 12 year old, how I talk to my five year old. Right. Age appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, So this was an opportunity to just really bite size, kind of walk a parent through, Mm -hmm. You know, these are the things that you probably aren't aware of that are happening online when your son gets on a video game and there's this live conversation happening and X, Y, Z. And these are the things that happen in the back door. I mean, do you know the studies that have been done when your child gets onto a child only platform, how it takes less than 12 seconds for a predator to find them and some of the things that are said to them. I mean, I wouldn't have known that, you know? And living in such a digital, technologically advanced age where our kids are growing up with this, uh, we have to be aware. More than aware, we have to be teaching our kids to be aware. So how do you do that, though? So that was that's um, our desire Mm. is that families will be less vulnerable Mm. and more vigilant. That's so good. I love that. Um, Okay, so we should we wrap up with the guy? Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. that story. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and I love wrapping up with this because it kind yeah, of ties it up. In I a think boat. that was it. I mean, so we let's circle back to the guy because this yeah. kind of wraps the story up nicely with the bow, the guy at the cash register. Yes. So he was directly behind Andy at a register watching pretty much this whole interaction. Mm-hmm. And so when I slumped over and said what I did about trafficking, I picked him up because his movement was so sharp. I mean, he like his whole body flung around and he looked right at me. And so as I'm talking to her, I'm making eye contact with him. And the best way to describe him, he was probably my age, but he looked 10 years older. He looked so worn. Like he had Mm -hmm. um, just lived a life of drugs Mm -hmm. and alcohol and bad choices. And it just was kind of written all over his skin and his face. And he had tattoos that started. I mean, I have a tattoo, but yeah he took the cake, like his tattoos started his chin and just, you know, all down his arms. And 
I remember he was wearing a short sleeve shirt, even though it was fairly cool February weather and he had on um, shorts and he had a haircut that I, you know, I've seen like what I would like into maybe a skinhead. I mean, it was just, yeah. um, it was not like someone who was bald, but shaved mm. to look like that intentionally and just an evil in his eyes. I actually have the photo I'll share with you. I picked up his sharp movement and I realized like he didn't have any groceries. He had no reason to be there. He didn't have anything in his hands. He was just kind of watching me. Mm-hmm. And afterwards I started processing, like now that I know what I know about trafficking and how rings work, what I believe he was doing was watching our interaction. Mm-hmm. Well, you fast forward to three fourths way through the book and Aaron and I have this interaction and it was the first time in this whole ordeal where Aaron kind of questioned, mm. um, whether, you know, the, not the validity of me, but the validity of the situation. Mm-hmm. And if I could really trust what happened because there was pushback and in all the important places, you know, like just family dynamics and so many things. And so, um, he, I had just been interviewed by Fox news, our local Fox station. Mm-hmm. and. I was really at the point where I was like, okay, well, here we go. Like I said, yes, Lord. And I'm just going to keep walking through whatever you bring to the table. And so Aaron had come home after that interview. And I just kind of shared with him some of the things that I was picking up on. I was discerning. And he said something that crushed me really was, I mean, do you want to say it or? I feel like I'm throwing you on the bus. It's in the book. So. Yeah, yeah I was just, you just, redeem yourself. Read the book. <laughs> he is definitely redeeming himself. Yeah. But just kind of question the validity of the situation. And it was the first time that I really questioned myself because up until that point, he was really my biggest cheerleader and encouraging me to step out in faith and doing these things that Proverbs 24 11 rescue mm-hmm. those who are being taken away to death and hold back those stumbling to their grave, right? Mm-hmm. And I started to question God. Because I thought, you know, Lord, if, if this path, like it was a bigger deal than just my husband questioning me. Okay. And I really want your listeners to go here with us. It was way bigger for me than just this like little interaction because I started to question, what if I do let all of Christendom down? Mm. What if I am wrong? What if I have been journeying this and saying this and none of it is is accurate. And because God led me here, he opened the doors. He put all these things in my heart. He was, you know, you've read the book. He's walking with me every single step of the way. Mm -hmm. That moment really had me question if I'm wrong, then can I trust God? Mm -hmm. And that was the question that really burned in my heart because it was God's trustworthiness that was on the line for me. And so I went into my closet after this little interaction, our kids weren't home, but after this little interaction in our entryway, I went into my closet, which, you know, the movie war room had just come out. Like I was decked out girl. I had like, I was I like, my post. It's by my bed too. I was like, I <laughs> war room changed my life. Yeah. I didn't do my closet. I couldn't stuffy. find my clothes. They were posted notes everywhere. <laughs> I just took over <laughs> in there. Um, it's cool to have a closet or like a sacred holy ground place. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. When I read that, I was like, yes, girl, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, and it just, and and I needed it. I mean, it was my lifeblood during that time. In the Mm -hmm. aftermath of all this, it was like, I couldn't go without it. And so I returned to that place, leaving Aaron in the entryway. And it wasn't a fight or an argument. It was just this like 
letdown, internal confusion. He was internally in chaos. I was internally in chaos. And that was the one place I knew I could go. And so I clicked on my phone to play some worship music. And um, this message popped up, which wasn't unlike, you know, it wasn't out of the, it wasn't unusual because it had gone so viral that that happened Mm -hmm. on the reg. But this one, I didn't even have to read because the first thing that came up was this picture of someone in a um, prison uniform. And I knew those eyes. Mm. I knew exactly who it was. And that man was the man standing behind Andy at the register watching the interaction. He had just been let out of prison two weeks earlier. The woman who sent me that message was very cryptic because I found out later it would have cost her her life to really come out and say things. She was trafficked by that man. He is a serial rapist. He uh, was a drug trafficker and he was in trouble with a renowned biker gang for selling child pornography on his own, despite an agreement that they had to sell child pornography for the biker gang. That's who I was in the store with and the man that we're praying for. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, he, when I talked to the Texas Rangers, fast forward to the end of the book, Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, he's watching the videotape. He's, you know, scrolling back and forth, fast forwarding, rewinding, fast forwarding, rewinding. We're talking on the phone and he's asking me some things. He's like, I don't know. I don't really know if it doesn't really follow the trafficking patterns. And, um, I have a whole theory on what we quote as trafficking patterns. I think that because I'm a businesswoman, that business is rooted in trafficking. This is a business and we keep looking at it sometimes as an atrocity and we need to look at it as a business mm-hmm. and business people always are forward thinking and they need to, um, aspire to new heights and they're, you know, they always have to reinvent the wheel in order to be the best at their craft. And so we don't have a multi, a, a multi-billion dollar business. The second leading, I mean, it rivals big oil and we're saying, ah, it's just an atrocity. It's not a business. And this is the pattern that it follows. That's what they're counting on. So that to me is like, bonk. Mm-hmm. so, but that's a different conversation for a different day. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, I'm not really sure. It doesn't follow traffic patterns. And I thought, okay, all right. Um, and he goes, you know, and the other thing is that he, this gentleman, you know, with the tattoos and the mm-hmm. gaunt look, he left the store with another man. And I kind of paused and I said, wait a second. He left the store with another man in an empty cart. Yeah. Okay. Did that man have on a white shirt? Yes. Was it a long sleeve shirt? Yep. Did it have writing down the side? Yes. Did he have really shaggy brown hair? Yep. Kind of overweight, about this tall. Did it, I started giving this description. That was the man in the very beginning of my story mm-hmm. that intersected my cart and took an overzealous interest in my two children and wanted to talk to me about them. That's mm-hmm. who he left the store with, Alicia. Yeah. And so can I prove it? No but am I an advocate? And do I believe with all my heart that this is an atrocity that's in a business that's alive and well, and that we parents need to be careful of? Absolutely. I love what you wrote at that part. You were like, he kind of dismissed you. Right. And you're like, so I wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, if you're not going to listen to me, I'll write a book. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because you want this story to go out and 
you're equipping families and mothers and fathers to be proactive in their children's life, but this isn't something that happens just overseas far away. No. Like this is something that is happening right at your local grocery store, Mm -hmm. in your community, in your city, no matter where you live. Like it's across our, the nation isn't, didn't you say too, the number one demand and selling is from the United States? Yeah. We're also the leader leaders in child pornography as well. Yeah. The, um, child. And we also, the statistics are overwhelming. Um, and they're, you know, statistics can be skewed. I mean, I had Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, um, is actually based on a real man Mm -hmm. who lives in San Antonio. Did you know this? Mm -mm. Okay. I didn't either. So he, Aaron, I know him, mm-hmm. was in our kitchen and I was talking to him about some of the st- statistics. And here's this guy who, like Jack Ryan, I mean, his biography, he's done work for us for Vigilant Families. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. He is a wealth of information um, and a tender, tender heart. But he, his biography is, could fill these walls. I mean, just the things that he's done and the boards that he sits on and his FBI work. And he looked at me with kind of this half grin and he goes, well, you know, Amanda, the statistics can always be skewed because the dollars need to follow with the data. And I thought he was telling me in a nice way what I kind of already knew, which is that we there's so much that we don't know. And one of the frustrating things for me is in this space is you have a lot of advocates that aren't on the same page. They're all fighting the same fight but they don't give one another grace to fight in a different way. And so they're saying, no, this is how they're trafficked or this is how it happened, or this is my story. So this is how it happened. And I feel like, gosh, if there's one thing that I could say to an advocate listening is that we do have to be on the same page. Like we have to be okay with saying that it doesn't only happen this way, that your story is valid and your story is valid. And if we want to move the needle more than than the traffickers are, Mm -hmm there has to be this camaraderie of working together because some of the most pushback I've gotten is from people who are actually experts. And I do use air quotes Yeah, uh, <laughs> and I'm not, I ain't angry about it, but I'm just telling you the reality of it. Like I'm a mom and I, I didn't enter this because I went to school for it. I entered it because it happened to me and my story is valid. Mm-hmm. And once it happened and it went so viral, all these other mamas came on and they don't have, you know, they haven't, spent 10 years studying this, but it happened to them too. Mm -hmm. And I believe them, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. we have to be open to the fact that it's not happening just one way, right? Because we don't have all the data because Jack Ryan stood in my kitchen and told me so. Okay. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I believe that I believe that we have to be open to recognizing that, um, because we live in a certain neighborhood or Mm -hmm. drive a certain car you know, we're not susceptible because we don't know certain people. I mean, it's just not the reality of the situation. So, and what's going to happen is that every mom and dad listening to this are, they're going to take their kids keys away from them and they're going (laughs) to lock the door and they're never going to let them go to youth group. And they're never going to go to the nursery because you're going to get on my social media page and see that I posted a two-year-old was taken out of a church nursery two weeks ago. Um, or an eight-year-old was found in the back of a car abducted or the little girl just last week who's 11 who fought off a trafficker because she was just sitting at her bus stop. I mean, all these things that people constantly send or I stumble upon um, as I'm researching and you're going to say, that's it. You're never riding the bus. Like we're getting, you know, bark and we're doing all these things, right? We're doing all the things. And 
Aaron and I, I'll let you take this talking about just this perfect tension that we live in as believers of living in a broken world where fear exists and having that temptation to fear. Mm-hmm. And chapter one, I go into all that and I know we don't have enough time, but it's just such a beautiful representation of <laughs> how we get here. Right. Mm-hmm. And how we, how these feelings affect us, but I'll let you kind of close with um, our response as believers to living mm-hmm. in the tension of the temptation to fear yeah. and the reality of who God is. Yeah. We could live in that for sure. Mm-hmm. Again, read the book. Uh, yeah. It's so good. You know, and oh, you touch on that all that? through the whole book. <laughs> that, well, it's, it's such a huge part of the book, you know, and I think that whether it's trafficking or it's something else, mm-hmm. you know, there's always something that you could be fearful for or of or whatever whether it's something because of your past or whether it's whatever. And I think it just, it really just goes back to trusting Mm -hmm. that God will come through for you, you know, and know, and knowing ahead of time that we're going to experience hardship and, and Mm -hmm. difficulty, but at the same time, um, just pressing in all the more to him and and trusting. There's no, there's a lot of things, but I think, yeah, two of the things that we have been talking about lately were, were, because we both pressing into, um, George Muller. I say Muller. Is it Mueller or Muller? I don't know. I've heard it both ways. So. I, I don't know. Um, I think it's, I don't know. Mueller. Okay, okay. We'll go with Mueller. Uh, so what he, he, one of his things was he, in the orphanage, that he, orphanages that he started, he pressed into prayer big time and he wouldn't ask people for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they needed money to survive and eat and all that, all that stuff. And so as he pressed in, he just wanted to show one of his big things was, there's a need. There's these orphan kids running all over the city. Nobody knows what to do. They're being literally trafficked into harsh working conditions in factories because business owners have a labor shortage. And even good Christian business owners were like, yeah, there's a problem, but they didn't know what to do with it. And so they didn't know how to match their Christian values and faith with actually running business. And the and time so, period is uh, Eastern Europe in... Yeah, over in, in England and just, um, oh, okay. I it was what, the 1800s. Yeah. Okay. And so he, he said that he wanted his life to be lived differently so that it could be an actual example for people right. on the God that is in the Old Testament is still the God of today. Mm-hmm. And so he just pressed in hard to prayer. And mm-hmm. so uh, one of his quotes was that um, he said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of faith is the end of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And um, man, in a world where so many people are in medicines for anxiety mm-hmm. or fear or whatever, or how we often live in that, right. whether it's this trafficking or another thing. Um, it really is, a, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it really is a faith issue that God will do what he says he's going to do. Can right. I trust that God will say he's going to uh, come through and um, which is, this, you go all through the Bible. It's all through. Can the Israelites trust right. what God said? Can Eve mm-hmm. and Adam trust what God said? And it, so it's, from Genesis one mm-hmm. all the way through is all. Can we trust, truly trust this God that we say we we're going to follow? And so, um, and then the other thing is great. We made it through this, whatever this is. And then looking back, one of the things that the Israelites would often do is they would build these mounds of stones. You know what I mean? These mm-hmm. stones of remembrance. And they were to say, Hey, let's remember what God did back then. And so for us, I mean, we've had, so many things and you touch on a lot of in the book, not Mm -hmm. just with the trafficking thing. Yes. Uh, Yeah. That has happened. So 
yeah, remembering each one stumbles into the next one. Right. uh, And it's not that you don't go in unafraid. Like I know that I've heard a quote, I think it was by an author named Jill Briscoe. She says, um, courage is just fear that says it's prayers. Mm. And I love that because like, I still get afraid even to get on an airplane sometimes, but you just step out in faith and those stones of remembrances do help when fear kind of ticks in. You're like, Ooh, okay. A little anxious, but then you're like, no, God has come through. Like even with the weather, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be thunderstorms there all weekend. That's what the weather app said. I was like, I'm going to be flying through a thunderstorm. Wasn't like God took care of that. And not even if he didn't, like he would still be the God of that thunderstorm. You yeah. know what I mean? And so I just think that, as you step out in faith and activate your faith and are walking in it and saying yes to those things, it's not that you're not afraid per se, but he takes those fears as it's like stepping into the Jordan, the Israelites, right? And they're yeah. like, and he parted the sea, but he's like, but you need to step first yeah. and I'll show up. So good. Yeah. My um, missionary friend, her husband is a pilot and we were joking when they were home from Thailand one time about how I said, Zach, I would never get on the plane with you. I hate to fly. I don't like to fly. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife, who's one of my nearest, dearest friends looked at me joking and she goes, um, well, gosh, Amanda, what are you afraid of losing your life? And she and I, till this day, talk about that conversation because mm-hmm. she was just flippantly teasing. But when she said that the Holy spirit did something in my heart mm-hmm. where it's like, it flipped the switch of this eternal perspective where I'm like, we as believers have nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like we have nothing to lose. Like if we give up our lives Mm -hmm. in faith Mm -hmm. by stepping out in faith, Mm -hmm. we've got something better, (laughs) you know, like it only gets better from here. Right. So it just, it, it flipped the script for me Mm -hmm. on the concept of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, you quote it. And that's literally the verse over, the marriage project with revelation 12, 11. That's uh-huh. literally like the key verse that I've always clung to is we overcome him by the blood of the lamb mm-hmm. and the word of their yeah. testimony. And they were not so afraid as to shrink back in their from their, yeah, from death or mm-hmm. wow. So I could keep going. We'll leave a little cliffhanger because you mentioned there have been other things that could have spiraled you out in fear, but you guys have overcome. So you don't have to go into those stories, but you can just allude to them and then people can get your book and read it and you can tell them where to pick it up. So sure. yeah, we, have, we had uh, a house fire that burned our house down, electrical fire. Uh, and this was our, the house of our dreams. Uh, we were fixing it up on acreage. We had sheep, you know, it was great. And, uh, Two and are the sheep we, four the weeks sheep. later. Yeah. Four, four weeks, weeks later. later. Um, our, uh, at that time, our youngest son, uh, drowned in a pool, uh, and, 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 Total miracle, act of God. Again, get the book, but yeah, um, but God uh, totally—it was totally God him. resuscitated him. No water in his lungs, yeah. just a total, absolute, one hundred percent miracle. And then miscarriage. Um, and then we had a miscarriage. And then um, our other—we had a, a home birth that was turned into a hospital transfer. Yeah. We almost lost our our um, sixth baby. Yeah. So. Those are just some of the highlights. Some of the There's highlights. Other, you yeah. Know, some of the things too, your but. marriage has weathered and <laughs> yeah. yep, gone through. So where can listeners find your book? I see it as a partnership book because you're the support and you're in it. So yeah. he trusts me. He definitely did. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, so you can find the book at or Vigilant Families or yeah. Able Moms um, at Amanda 
flow, just F L O dot com. Florzinkowski we thought was kind of long. <laughs> but Amandaflow.com. It's also, you know, Amazon. You can get yeah. the audiobook on Audible. I mean yeah. any of those places too, but I would encourage going to the website. Yeah, I'll link it. And Vigilant Family. So anyone can join that? Is that, or is it there like open registration sometimes? No, anyone can join. We're actually doing pre-order now, but it's, that's www. You have to put that in first. Yeah. Uh, Just vigilantfamilies.org. Okay. And then Able Moms is just ablemoms.org. Right. And they'll get devotionals sent to their email. Yes. Subscribing is genius for Able Moms. That's, um, those are a lot of spectacular mom voices that partner with us. Um, we're actually opening up registration for able moms in about four weeks, mm. uh, for this year. So okay. that runs on like an annual rotation for curriculum. And that's like a turnkey, anybody looking for a women's ministry because women right now, oh my goodness, I'm a stay at home mom myself, yeah. um, who have lived through the pandemic, they need an outlet. Yeah. So those, um, community gatherings kick off locally in September, but right in, in four weeks, we open up registration for churches to get hands on that, that turnkey curriculum. And then vigilant families should be done here in a few weeks. So that's just rolling out. That's really exciting too. That's exciting. But, or in amandaflow.com, you can find all that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys. It's a pleasure to talk with joining. Oh gosh. I know this is so much. I feel like people are going to want to just keep hearing you guys talk and share, but thank you guys so much. Thank you. Be sure to follow on Instagram at The Marriage Project Co. Or check out the website www.themarriageproject.co to see all the photos that accompany each testimony behind each matrimony. And be sure to subscribe for the community newsletter to get each episode sent directly to your inbox.